Well, good morning. How you guys doing today? I, uh, I wanted to find a way to help get my point across today. And so uh, I was just thinking about this. Um, of all the days, there's certain days in church growing up as a kid that I remember more than others. And one of the tops in the list was when missionaries came to town. We had a couple missionaries in our church, Larry and Addie Garman. Our church was kind of their home church, and they would go to Papua New Guinea, and they would come back, and they would tell these stories about the whirlpools and, and the, the headhunters and the witch, witch doctors and, and the snakes and the Amazon and all these things, and we would just be glued. And I remember one Sunday night, Addie, Larry and Addie were there, and they were sharing about what was taking place in the missionary work, and, and he comes out, and he has this big blow dart gun. Now, as a junior higher, we're all sitting there going, oh, this is about ready to get interesting. He's got a blow dart gun. What is he going to do with this blow dart gun? And he pulls it up and we look and in the back of the room is a balloon that he has set up in the back of the balloon. And he's going to take that blow dart and he's going to shoot it down the aisle at that uh, balloon right there and uh, pop it. Well, all of a sudden we're like, this could be good. What if he misses? Oh my gosh, what if it goes third row? What if she gets hit? Oh, man. And all of a sudden, there could be blood. There could be blood, death, mayhem in church tonight. This is good. Let's listen. What's going to happen? And we would lean in and we'd listen to that. And he takes it back. And as he pulls back his first one, poof, shagoo. And he missed. The balloon's still there. We're like, all right, so his aim is off this morning, uh, this evening. Who knows what could go on? Yeah. So he puts, he goes, sorry, I'm getting warmed up here a little bit. And he put his next one in. And he went, poof, and that one went back to the back, pop, pop the balloon in the back. And so as I was thinking about this morning, I thought, uh, well, I could probably do that. I mean, I don't have a blow dart or anything, but uh, I do got a bow. So uh, I, I've asked a friend of mine, Daniel, uh, here, Daniel, uh, why don't you just stand right in the middle, just stand right in the middle. Actually, if you scoop back just a little bit, you're right there. Uh, go ahead and hold that up. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to hit this balloon, and, uh, and we're going to do this, all right? So i got to make sure that I put this in properly, of course, first of all. Make sure this is in there. Uh, Daniel, can you move it a little bit more to the right? More, no, no, not in front of your face. That would be a bad idea. No, a little more to the left. Now it's in front of your dad's face. Okay, let's go. Let's just aim it a little higher. Can we just put higher? That's perfect. Okay. How many of you guys think I can hit this? <laughs> I've got one. Two, three, I've got three people that have confidence. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Michael says everybody should duck. I just, <laughs> so, all right. All right, very good. This is good. All right, uh, I'm trying to think. The air conditioning's on, isn't it? Okay, all right, I think that's one. All right, let's go. I think we got this. Are right, you guys ready? On count of three. What? Who's saying no? Don't say no. Have faith, have faith. That is even not, that's not even... He's young. He won't know what he's missing. You know. So, all right, here we go. You ready? All right, here we go. All right, a little bit higher. I think just a little bit higher. Okay, ready? I want you guys to count me down here on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm just kidding. I'm not taking a shot at a kid. Thank you very much, Dan, for being brave. I really appreciate that. I'm not going to shoot. Are you kidding me? You know what I would do? I would miss it. I'm afraid that I would miss the mark. And unfortunately, uh, that's exactly what we're talking about today. So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 3 as we talk about this idea of, well, missing the mark. 
You guys get nervous there a little bit? So if you're at home, you fully missed this, by the way. You really wanted to be here and, and be a part of this thing. But here we go. Uh, is the deal is, is that that is exactly what we're talking about, missing the mark. Because that's what sin is. Did you know that? That's what sin is. Sin is actually an archery term that in the Greek, is, it's hamartia. And I want you to say that with me. Say it with me. Even at home. Come on. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartia. Okay. You'll probably never use that word again. But it means to miss the mark. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. It implies that you were aiming for a specific target, but you missed, right? You were aiming for a target. You were intending to hit that target and it missed. And what Paul is saying here in this book of Romans is he's been trying to help us understand that the law is here to help us know what the mark is that we are aiming at and also to reveal not only what the mark is, but how far we've come from hitting the mark. But then Jesus comes along, and now Jesus comes to reveal to us what it looks like to live out hitting the mark. He's the example of what it means to hit the mark, and that's where he's at. And often for us, we intend, right? We intend to hit the mark. I'm going to pull my mark back here. Oftentimes, we intend to hit the mark, but we miss, right? We intend to do the right thing. We know what the right thing is to do. We're even trying to do the right thing, and we miss the mark. But you see, there's other times, aren't there? Probably more often. When we know what the mark is, we know what the right thing is to do or the thing is that we shouldn't be doing, and we intentionally aim at a completely different target and hit it, don't we? There was a, a, an author by the name of Al Trues, Dr. Al Truesdale in his book, Sin, he says this. He says, this does not mean that we have aimed at the correct target and missed, but as sinners, we have aimed at the wrong mark and we've hit it dead center. You see, as sinners, too often, we don't even take aim at the right mark. We take aim at the wrong mark and we keep hitting it over and over and over again. And as we talk about sin, one of the things we have to understand as we begin is this, is that we've all missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. There is not one of us that has nailed it. There's not one of us that has gotten it right. Sometimes intentionally we miss the mark. Sometimes unintentionally we miss the mark. But we have all, every single one of us, missed the mark. Now, this is intended to be a unifying, believe it or not, statement. It's to help us understand that it doesn't matter who you are, what seat you're in today, what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter who you are, where you've been, what your background is, and whatever it will be, you've missed the mark. Which means as we walk into rooms like this, as Paul is talking to the church and they're sitting in this church together, he's trying to help them understand, you're all in this together. Don't think you're better. Don't think you're worse. Don't think you're different. There's all sorts of things that make you different. But this is something that makes us the same. We've all missed the mark. Every single one of us has missed the mark. Now, Romans, believe it or not, Romans is really a book about good news. I know it hasn't felt that way so far in the first few weeks here. But Romans is really a, a, a book about good news. But as Pastor Kevin has said, it's really important for us to fully understand and comprehend the bad news about how much we've missed the mark 
in order for us to understand the immense gift that we've been given in the good news through Jesus Christ. See, if we don't understand that we've missed the mark, if we don't understand where we're at in this, if we don't understand who we are in relationship to him, the good news just is fluff that flies by that we don't understand and we don't appreciate as we should. And so we spent the last two chapters sitting in the bad news, haven't we? We spent the last two weeks, the last two chapters sitting in the bad news. If you've, if you've been with us the last four weeks, uh, I'm not sure why you came back today. Uh, uh, frankly, uh, we've sat through some of the most, you've sat through some of the most difficult messages, the most challenging messages, the most convicting messages uh, that have been preached in a long time. We spent Mother's Day even talking about total depravity. We spent Mother's Day talking about how wicked we are, and we talked about the wrath of God, which I guess kind of makes sense. The wrath of, I never mind, maybe it was just my mom. But Paul spent two chapters here talking to the Romans and telling with them and reminding them, this is who you are. And as we read these chapters, we have to read them from the, the, the perspective of this is also who we are, isn't it? That without Christ, this is where we are. This is who we are. And so as he goes through this list, he comes into him and says, this is who you are. You know what you are? You are godless. You are wicked. You are depraved. You claim wisdom, but you're actually fools. You've exchanged the truth of God for lies. You know what is right, but you intentionally do the wrong thing. And not only do you do the wrong thing, you celebrate those that do the wrong thing around you. You encourage the people that are around you that are doing the wrong thing as well. You're stubborn. You have an unrepentant heart. You try to make excuses for yourself, but the truth is you have no excuse. You're self-righteous. You're a hypocrite. You are so sinful and your desires have been so sinful that God has just given you over to those sinful desires now. He's given you what you wanted, what your heart is set on. You deserve death. Now, as he's talking here, as he continues on in the passage, there's a, a season here, a session where he's talking to the Jews, right? But really, if you look at this, as we, we've learned, is, is you can look at this, you could easily exchange Christian for Jew, because it's the exact same kind of mindset that we get sometimes as Christians. He, he says to them, you, you think because you're a Jew and because you try to observe the, observe the law that you're right with God. So as a Christian, you think just because you're trying to do the right thing and make the right choices, you're good, right? No, you're not right with God. You, you think that as a Jew, your relationship, or your relationship as God's chosen people makes you right with God. No, it doesn't make you right with God. You think your religious rituals, like last week we talked about circumcision, last week you think just because you do that now that you're right with God. Or for us as Christians, we would say, okay, you think your religious rituals, like, like you go to church every Sunday, or you, you pay your tithe, you've been baptized, you take communion, those religions, you think because you do those things, you're right with God. And he said, no, you're not. You think your knowledge of the law makes you right with God? No. You think because you know Scripture, because you've studied Scripture, because you've been in a Sunday school class ever since you were three years old, because you've memorized passages of Scripture and you know what it is, frontwards, backwards, that you're right with God? He says, no. No, you're not. 
Let's just make sure you are not right with God. You have missed the mark. You have sinned. And I don't know about you, but if you look at this, this is a lot of bad news that we've been sitting through for the last few weeks. For the last four weeks, this is what's been going on. And you got to be sitting there at some point, right, and thinking, you got any good news? Can we have some good news? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Guess what the good news is? Good news is? Next week, we got some good news for you. But this week, we got more bad news. So you're going to be with us today. We're going to be in Bible uh, in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 is what we're going to look at today. Open up your Bibles, please, and get in there. At home, please take, make, a, make sure you, you take your Bibles, get your app open, whatever, and uh, go ahead and start with us. We're in Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning, and so that's what we're doing. Now, I know normally we stand and, and do, but we're going to walk through this a little bit. So as we do, just kind of have that in front of you and walk it here if you're here. If you got an app, just open it, whatever. But this is where we're at in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. This is where we're starting. So he begins. What advantage there, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Okay, remember the conversation that we've been, been having so far. The, he was trying to get to the Jews and talk to the Jews and say, listen, there is no favor. God doesn't show favoritism. Just because you were his chosen people, and you, you've missed the mark too. You've blown it too. You're going to be held accountable too. And he's trying to get across this to them. And he says, okay, so is there any advantage then in being a Jew? Is there any value in circumcision? He says, much, in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. He tries to encourage them to say, is there value in being a Jew? Yes, of course. God, you are the one that God has chosen to be a blessing to the nations. You are the one that God gave his words to on those tablets. So is there a benefit? Of course. Is there, is there a, that's great. But... But, and then he goes on and says, well, okay. And this section right here, he's getting ready to go, and he's got three different questions. So what Paul's doing is he's anticipating, all right, as I'm writing this, I'm going to start getting the questions. These are the questions they're going to write. Now, I don't know, but has anybody been reading in advance at all? If you've been reading in advance, if you've been reading in advance at all, and you start reading through the book of Romans, you you probably hit a spot. If if you hit a spot there where you go, "I, I don't get what he's saying there. Why is he, what, what does that mean? What, why is he talking about that? What? If you've been there, you're in good company because everybody does it. This is so, it's a difficult book to read. And Paul kind of is all, Paul has ADD. So Paul is an ADD writer. He's not even writing it down. So he doesn't have to slow down even for his pen. Remember, because he's dictating this. So he's doing this. And as he's talking, he'll go around and he'll start talking, talking, talking. He'll go, oh yeah, this, this here, and this here, and then this here. And then he'll come back to his point, And then he'll go over here and here. And if you, you're like, I don't get it. Okay, so he's going to go into these three points here that are his three little thoughts. Now, the thing is, he's really not going to get too deep into any of these three thoughts, but he's going to come back to them later on in Romans. So we'll deal with those later on. So I just want to go through this real quickly. But again, he's anticipating, oh, they're probably going to ask this question. So he says, well, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And you go, huh? What in the world are you talking about? He's just talking about how uh, the, the Jews are God's chosen covenant people and God is calling even them on their sins and how they have missed the mark. And the facts that God has exposed their sin and condemned their sin as well, it shows his justice that he has. That there are no favorites in his mind. And then he moves on and says, but if, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say then? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? 
says, I'm, I'm only, I'm using a, a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Again, he's talking about God's justice here in this and talking about if our unrighteousness brings out his righteousness, we, how can he judge us for being unrighteous when it really makes him more, you see? Yeah, great. That will get, he's going to come back to this. We're going to get into that. Uh, Romans 7, uh, he continues and says, Some might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increase his glory, then why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. He's saying, so wait, so you say that because I sin, it brings God, okay, if my sin and my my brokenness brings out God's glory, then shouldn't we just sin more? And he's like, no, of course not. That's not how it's supposed to do. That's not, what, no, 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 no. And then he gets into here, and this is where we're going to really kind of settle in here and begin talking in today. And in verse 9, he says, well, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? No. He says, okay, so what should we conclude as Jews? What do we conclude? Do we have any advantage over everybody else? Do Jews have an advantage over the Gentiles when it comes to salvation? It comes to being right with God? And he says, no. No, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. All right, so there's two things happening here I want to point out. First one is this, is the Jews and the Gentiles are all in this together. He is, again, he's sitting talking to a church where you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, and there's a discussion and an argument taking place where some think they're better than others. We've got a better, we've got a head start. We're, you know, we're, the law doesn't apply. I don't have to do this. And they start, this argument is going on. And Paul is writing to this church and saying, you're all in this together. You've all missed the mark. You are all sinners. There, no one has an advantage. God doesn't show favoritism to anybody. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. Now, again, he's going to come back to that verse later on. But you got to say it, right? Everybody. All. Which means for us, as we walk into these rooms, we have to remember that we are equal. We all have sinned. We have all missed the mark. And need a savior. We need the good news that is coming, and there is no one who is not in need of it. So that's the first part. All are alike. But the second part he gets into is this. Okay, the same verse. He says, We are all under what he says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Something is happening here. There is, there's a shift that's taking place. He's saying here we are all under the influence of the power of sin. All of us. Every single one of us is under the influence of the power of sin. Now, what is taking place here is there's a shift that has gone on. Remember, he talked about sin being what? Sin is missed the mark. That's an act, right? We think about that. We can name sins that we've done in our lives or sins that we do, actions that we've missed. And Paul here shifts from it being an action that I've done, from something that I've done to something that I am under the influence of. That there's this power that is influencing your life and mine. It's not just actions that we've done. It means there's this invading force that has come into our lives, this power that is working in us that keeps us from being able to hit the mark, that keeps us from being able to do the right thing, that keeps us from being able to live the life that God wants us to do, that God wants us. This is that hamartia is missing the mark. Crazy thing, it's the same word, but now Paul shifts it. And what's interesting here is that he does this. This is the only time he does this in any of his letters. 
He doesn't do this in any of, others, any of his other letters, and this isn't found in any of the other early Christian writings that go on. But here he is, and he shifts it, and he personifies it. He gives it this, this, this being that this is at work within you, that is controlling you, that has power over you. It's an oppressive power that we find ourselves under the authority of. We are under the influence of this. I want you to listen. Uh, Fleming Rutledge Fleming Rutledge says this in her book, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. She says, she says, we should not think of sin as a composite of individual misdeeds. Rather, it is a malevolent cosmic power whose goal is to corrupt God's creation, to imprison and to visit death upon it. Individual sins reveal the malevolent agency as universally operative. In other, in other words, it reveals that it's working everywhere. The fact that there's so much sin in the world reveals that the power of sin, that this cosmic power, this cosmic malevolent power that, that we are operating under the influence of. And you see the influence of the power of sin that we are under in our world today. And what is its goal? To corrupt God's creation. You look around at the news, you look around at what people are doing with the truth right now. They're taking what is good and what are they doing with it? They're corrupting it. They take good stuff and twist it so that even what God intended for good, now they're trying to make evil out of it. They're, 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 uh, the, this power is there to imprison. We have people that are imprisoned right now, aren't we? People are in chains right now, the slaves and in bondage of sin. And it's also there to bring death. What is the wages of sin? It's death. What is the result? That's what this power wants. It wants to come and it wants to corrupt things. It wants to imprison. It wants to bring death. Remember, Jesus came that we would have life and have life to the fullest. But the enemy came to steal, kill, destroy. And that's what we see happening. And so as we see that going on in our world today, we need to look at that and see it for what it is. It's not just individual acts of missing the mark. It's the result of a life lived under the influence of sin. And we have people, unfortunately, in our broken world that are living under the influence of sin. Some of us are still living under the influence of sin. And what comes from that? Marks missed over and over. If you think about this, it means that when you go to grab that bow and you go to aim, it means because that work and that influence is in your life, what happens is, is you can't even aim right. You can't even aim right. You're not even aiming at the right thing. We start aiming at the wrong targets and thinking they're the right targets and hitting it bullseye dead on, and then we're wondering why sin is, run, why sin is so rapid. It's because of this force that's in our lives. And so what Paul goes into next now here is Paul goes into three. He actually strings together some Old Testament quotes uh, that deal with three different areas where the influence of sin's power reveals itself. Does that make sense? He's, Paul's going to point to three different areas that... Uh, that sin kind of reveals itself in, in the things that we do. And, and it begins with this idea, though, that, that sin's influence is revealed in our entire being. It's in all of, our total depravity means we are completely corrupt. It is at work all throughout our bodies, at all throughout who we are. This power of sin is at work in all of who we are. 
Now, by the way, remember, this is not Pastor Brent coming up telling you what he thinks. This is what Paul is writing. This is the word of God. So don't get mad at me because I'm telling you this, okay? But it's at work in all of who we are, not just part of us, all of who we are. This is where he starts in. So we're going to start with verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So in that first section there, we see sin's influence is revealed in our character. This is where he begins, in our character, in who we are. As is, there's no one that's righteous. There is no one who understands. We are incapable of understanding the goodness and the greatness of God and understanding the depth of the grace and the mercy that he has poured out for us. We can't even do that as we are under the influence of sin. We all have turned away. What do we naturally do? When we are left on our own, what way do we seek? We don't seek out God's way, do we? What do we seek out? Our way. We don't look for his path intentionally, naturally. We go towards our own path. He says uh, that they've all, uh, no one seeks God and they've turned away. What do we seek? What do we normally seek? We normally seek what we want. We seek our will. We seek what we want. We seek what makes us comfortable, what makes us happy, what makes us feel good, what makes us feel like we belong, what makes us fit in. We seek what everybody else is doing because they're telling me that this is what I need to seek after. That's what we seek after naturally because of sin at work in life, in our lives. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So he begins by saying, listen, sin's influence, you can see it in our character. And then he goes on, he moves on and he says this. All right, now he moves, he says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now he goes and he says, sin's influence is revealed in our conversation. And what comes out, and if you look at this, where does he start? He starts with the throat, right? And then he moves to the tongues, then he moves to the lips, and then he moves to his mouth, their mouths. It's this whole act of conversation what takes place. Their throats are open graves. Do you know that they seal graves for a reason? You seal graves for a reason because when you put a corpse inside of this grave, you know what it does? It rots. It decays. There's a stench that emits from that grave if you don't seal it up. And what he's saying is your throats are like an open grave. There's death inside of you, and the stench of it comes out when you open your mouth. A little harsh, huh? But that's what it says. That's what happens when we're under the influence of sin. He says there's poison uh, excuse me, their tongues, they practice deceit. Because of that death that's in you, you're a liar. You start lying and you start believing lies. When you grab lies and you throw lies out there as truth, you exchange truth for lies all the time. And then from there, there's poison of vipers on your lips. Poison does what? It's deadly. It kills. He says, you're speaking death now. There's this poison, this death that you speak to others. You're not speaking life into other people's lives when you're under the influence of sin. You're speaking death into the world, destruction into the world. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Why do you curse somebody? Usually because they've wronged you. Because you want something bad to happen to them. This is what you've done? All right. I'm, this is my, I'm going to get even with you. I'm cursing, and my mouth is filled with bitterness. 
angry resentment. I can't believe you think that way. I can't even believe you act that way. And so, boom, and what comes out? And if you look at it, you know what we've done is we've taken this, this what comes out of our mouth. We've now put it on social media, of course. And you look through there, and you can see the cursing and the resentment. And you can smell the stench in posts at times, can't you? You start browsing through TikTok. You start browsing through Instagram. You start looking at social media. What do you see? You see the stench of people who are living under the influence of sin. And it comes out through the conversation. In verse 15, he picks back up. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace... They don't know it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The next one he says is sin's influence is revealed in our conduct. He says what? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Why do you shed blood swiftly? Because life doesn't mean anything. There's a disregard for life. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. There's rage. I'm out of control. There is no self-control. And when I get angry, I just unleash. And you can see this in our world today. Violence is going up and up and up. Road rage, huge. Death, murder is taking place all around us all the time. Some are videotaping it as it's happening. What is that? It's power of sin. It's the influence of the power of sin. People are just swift to shed blood. They ruin and misery mark their ways. It means what we touch, the things that we go to naturally on our own. What happens? We destroy. We don't seek to bring peace. We don't seek to bring wholeness or shalom. What we do is we bring destruction in everything that we do. Peace, they don't even know peace. Because what does sin do? Sin creates conflict. Why? Because I want what I want to do. Sin, at the very root of it, is is I'm selfish, and I'm about me, and life is about me, so I do what I want to do when I want to do it. But then you come along, and you want to do what you want to do where you want to do it, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in conflict. That's the result of sin and the influence. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And we see this as we become an increasingly godless nation. I'm afraid of God. Oh, you, you, you have a Bible that says these things? So? I can write a book. It says all sorts of things. Okay, I know, God, that you say you have these things that you tell me you want to do. I know that you have these marks that you tell me that I'm supposed to You know, I know those things, but I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't fear any repercussions from you. What we have is, again, the work, the power, the influence of sin that runs rampant in our world today. If you look at all three of these areas together, what we have is total depravity. All of who we are is corrupt. All of what we do, and Paul is saying this, everything that you guys are, all of who you are has been corrupted. There is no redeeming, saving grace within you apart from Christ. Total depravity, completely corrupt. Your whole nature, everything about you, is corrupted and under the influence and power of sin. Then he goes in verse 19 and says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced on the whole world, held accountable to God. Therefore, 
Therefore, by the way, therefore is always a big one. Whenever you see therefore, you get to figure out what something is there for. What has all this other stuff been there for? This is for what? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What does he conclude? No one's going to be declared righteous by the law. And we can really take that a step further and say, what does really Paul conclude? No one is declared righteous. On our own, under our own strength, in our natural state of depravity, under the influence of sin, we cannot be made righteous. We're broken. And we can't fix ourselves. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm not broken, guess what? You're broken and you can't fix yourself. If you say, well, that doesn't apply to me, guess what? You're broken too. And you can't fix yourself. We are all in this situation. No one is declared righteous. No one is right with God as the power of sin moves around us. You're not righteous because of the family that you've been born into or the nation that you've been born into. You're not righteous because of religious rituals that you've done or, or things that you've said or things that you've, you've acted out. It's not because you're not made righteous because you know a lot of scripture. You have missed the mark. He's really, really harping on this, isn't he? He's been going on this for two chapters plus 20 verses, and he's saying you have missed the mark. Three chapters almost of so far of bad news. Why is he spending so much time making sure that we get and this church gets that we're broken, that we're sinful, that we've missed the mark. Why? One, I think because sin's a big deal to God. Because he is a holy God and we are an unholy people and a holy God cannot stand sin, which is why he has to do something about it. And because sin is a big deal to God, because there's a because there's good news to share that won't make sense if we don't understand the bad news. Why is he really making sure that he spends all this time really demolishing everybody, making sure everybody's included in this? Why? Because there's good news that's coming. And if you don't know that you've missed the mark, if you don't know where you're at, you're not going to understand the weight of the good news. Because you are broken and you may not even know it. We have people in our world, some of us in this room, that are broken and aren't even aware of it. In fact, think the brokenness should be celebrated. Think the brokenness should be elevated. The brokenness just makes me, me, me. But the truth is everyone's broken. And everyone's sinful. So it really doesn't make you any, you know, special. Why does he do this? Because this impacts all of us. There's not one person that it doesn't. And because of the effects of living under the influence of the power of sin. I think Paul understands the effects of sin that is rampant in our world. Not just the acts of missing the mark, but the power, the influence of sin in our lives. And so what happens is, and Fleming Rutledge says this in her book again, she says, militantly, sin aims at disrupting God's purposes. That's what sin does. This power is trying to disrupt God's purpose, and God has a purpose and a plan, by the way, for you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a purpose and a plan for your church, us. God has something that he wants to do, and sin comes in and disrupts it. Militantly aims at disrupting God's purpose 
for our lives. The result of sin is separation, right? The result of sin, when sin is running rampant in our lives, it brings separation. The first thing it separates us from is God. Sin separates us from God. Remember, a holy God, sinful us, cannot coexist together. It brings separation from us. Romans, a little bit later on, he's going to say, for the wages of sin is death. What is death? Death is eternal separation from God. It's saying here that sin left in, into, in, your, in its final state, as, as God does this, and when you come to the last day, sin is going to separate you. And the result of sin left unchecked in your life means eternal separation. And this is, by the way, not God sending someone to hell. It's letting them go where they always wanted to go. If you're going to spend your entire life separate from God here, and you don't want anything to do with God here, why would you want anything to do with him in eternity? If you spend your time here and you want to be separate from him here and you're choosing to be separate from him here, well, then he allows you to have what you desire, separation for eternity. That's what the wages of sin is. Sin separates us from God. We've been intended to be, we are created to be in relationship with him. From the very beginning, you look at Adam and Eve in the garden of the cool, the day walking with God. God, we were intended to be in relationship, but because of sin, we got separated from that. And ever since then, God has been making the way to bring us back into that relationship. That's what he wants. But sin brings separation from God. Sin also separates us from others, doesn't it? Sin separates from others. It impedes right relationships with the people around us. Can I tell you, of all the counseling that I've done over the years, you know what usually is at the center of it? You know what always is at the center of it? It's usually a sin problem. Either the person or both people or one's inflicted sin upon the other and sin becomes the issue. Because what does it do? Sin, selfishness, pride, anger, rage. What does these things do? Brings conflict in relationships. Marriage counseling. I can't tell you how many times like, we've, I've had a couple in front of me, and I said, well, tell me what's going on. And one person will talk about the other things that the other person has done. I mean, I don't do anything wrong, but this is what they've done. And then quickly the other person, well, this is what I've done. This is what that person's done, and they've done this. I say, okay, well, what of that can you own on your own? Well, I, I didn't do any of those things. I'm not, can't even own our own brokenness. Sin in our world, it, it breaks down relationships, doesn't it? With husband and wife, with ch parents and children, with brothers and sisters, with coworkers, with friends, with family. It, it destroys relationships around it. During these last couple of years, as we've been going through COVID, there have been relationships that have been strained and put to the test. And sometimes it really is not about the issue, per se, as it is the way people have gone about approaching the issue with one another. And they've been sinning against one another. And it brings separation. Sin separates us from others. And then lastly, it separates us from ourselves, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Sin keeps us from being the people that we were intended to be. It keeps us from becoming the person that God's created us to be. This purpose that he gives us, he's created us with a purpose, on purpose, and what happens is as sin gets in there, all of a sudden that purpose gets lost because we start seeking all these other things. We try to find ourselves and find our direction and find our
our way in all these other things that the world is telling us to do. And in the meantime, what is sin doing in the world? It's giving us the wrong directions. And all of a sudden we're like, I don't understand. I just don't feel right. I don't feel good. And then all of a sudden you have these little moments when the things that are wrong start to make us feel that, well, that makes me feel good, so I'm going to keep doing that. But then ultimately what does it do? It leaves you empty. You're like, how did I get here? I just don't feel like me. What is that? That's sin. Sin will keep you and me from being the people that we're intended to be, from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. So how can we respond? How are we going to respond this morning? I can't sit here and unload all this bad news. I've got to give you something, right? Can I give you something? Let me do this, okay? How do we respond? How do we respond to this? How would the church in Rome respond to this? What do they do? Well, Paul's going to unpack this as he continues going. Good news, by the way, coming next week. You really want to be here next week. There's some cool stuff, and it begins with two words. It's going to be awesome. But this week, I'm not going to have my TV anymore. Okay. So this week, you're going to have to fill in your own notes. No, just kidding. Romans 12, 1 says this. It says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Because of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do we respond to this bad news that we've all missed the mark? That we're all sinners? That we're all broken? You take your broken, missing the mark, under the influence self, and you go, God, here I am. It's ugly. You can see what sin's done to my life. You can see what living under the influence has done. You see the destruction, God. You see it. I'm not who you wanted me to be. I'm not who you intended to be me to be. And I, I can't fix it. I've tried. And can I tell you, God, I'm tired. I can't fix it. He says, offer it to me. In view of God's mercy, Knowing who he is, it begins with God. Here I am. And then John's going to come back and he's going to say in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I love this passage, especially today, for this reason. Because he says if you'll confess, if you will come down here and say, this is who I am. Paul's gone through this big list. He says, this is who I am. Because this is who I am, I'm going to confess that to you. I'm going to own it. And it says God will do two things. He's going to forgive you your sins. He's going to forgive you of those moments when you've missed the mark. Those, those deeds, those things that you've done. He says, I'm going to forgive you of those. But then he says, two, I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know what that's doing? I'm going to change whose power is at work in your life. It's no longer going to be the power of sin that is influencing your life. It is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit that it now comes into your life and influences you. And it eradicates, it frees you, sets you free from your inability to even do the right thing or aim in the right way. So confess. This is what I'm going to do this morning. I don't know. At home, if you're sitting there today and you've been thinking, or maybe if you're in the room here today and you've been sitting there and thinking, boy, that power of sin, I, I feel the separation between me and God. We are not as close as we ever, as we once were. How did we get so estranged? Confess your sins to him. Offer it to him. 
Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I've got a relationship that I can see the effects of sin. And this is my sin. These are the parts. This is the role I'm playing in that relationship. This is the sins that I need to own. God, this is who I am and bring that to him. And maybe as you're praying in that moment, you can see the things that other people offer them. Intercede for the other person that the Holy Spirit would draw them to him as well. And then maybe you're sitting here today and as you sit here today, you are not you. You're sitting here today and you're like, how how did I become this? What's happened? I used to be happy and now I'm miserable. I used to have joy and now I'm just, ugh. I used to have purpose. I used to have drive. I used to have energy. I used to have, what is it? It's the influence of sin. Today, come and bring it. At home, bring it to God. Offer it to him. You don't have to clean it up and make it look all pretty and nice. Just bring it to him honestly. And as you confess, it says he promises he will forgive and he will cleanse. There is no reason you leave this room today. There is no reason you turn off this message today without getting out from underneath the power of sin. There is no reason that you have to end today in the same spot you were yesterday. You do not have to walk out still under the influence of sin anymore. You can be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit as you come to him and receive him in your life. So we're gonna sing a song. And as we sing this song, actually we're not gonna sing this song, but you guys did a great job practicing this song and I promise in the next service we will sing this song. Because of the time, we're not going to sing the song, but it's where I do. I'm going to pray. And if it's where you're at, I just want you to just go to God. Let's go to God today, okay? If something that you're separated from, let's allow God to make us whole. Father God, thank you so much for today. We thank you for this bad news. We thank you for this harsh, brutal pounding that Paul has been giving us about how we are broken, how we cannot fix ourselves, how we try, how we make excuses and we're without excuse. Lord, we've tried over and over again. Not only have we missed the mark, and we can name the thousands of times that we've missed the mark, but we see the influence of sin in our lives and in our world, Lord. And today we say no more. Today, Lord, we honestly come to you with who we are, broken, beat up, not good enough incapable of hitting the mark selves, Lord, and we offer ourselves to you today. Lord, we pray that your spirit would invade our lives. Lord, we invite you to come into our lives today to take over who we are. We give you all of who we are, Lord. We're grateful that you say that if we confess our sins, that you will forgive. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness this morning, that you will cleanse us from all unrighteous. Thank you for the cleansing that you are doing right now in the lives of people in this room. Lord, may we not operate and live underneath the power and the influence of sin, but rather may we operate under the power, the perfect power of the Holy Spirit, alive and working in our lives, transforming us, making us into the people that you want us to be. The enemy wants to steal, kill, destroy, The enemy wants to disrupt your purpose, but Lord, we want to fulfill your purpose. We want to lean into your purpose. We want to give you our purpose, submit our purpose to you and our entire lives. So we offer ourselves to you today, Lord. May our lives be different as we no longer seek ourselves, but we continue to seek you every day and your purpose. Do your work in our lives, God. 
we thank you that while we can't fix us, you loved us so much that you sent your son to do just that, to make us right with you. Not because of anything that we've done or anything that we've said, Lord, but because you are alive in us. Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If today you made that decision, I would love to talk with you. I'm going to be hanging around here. Talk to one of us pastors. Tell your small group leaders. Tell somebody because this, we can see it, right? What Paul's talking about to the church in Rome all these years ago, we can look and go, yeah, I can see the power, the influence of, of, the, of sin in our world, don't you? We can see it. It's everywhere. But we want to help you lean into the purpose that God has for your life. And it's one that is filled by the Holy Spirit indwelling in you and not the world. Because guess what? Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And everything changes the moment we give that to him. Let's stand. Let me have a benediction for us today. Today, may we go from this place as people who are no longer under the influence, the power of sin, but rather we are under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. May it change our relationship with God. May it change our relationship with others. And may it change the way we even see ourselves. Go and be the light to the darkness. Amen. You guys have a great week. Pastor Kevin, we'll be back next week, and we'll see you then. You're dismissed.